Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. To invite you to open with me to the book of Genesis. The book of beginnings, chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, and as we approach the word of God, shall we pray? Our Father, we give thanks to you for your precious, holy written word that unveils to us the living Christ. We thank you, dear Father God, for the ministry of your spirit, whom you sent to us to guide us into all the truth. And we now activate the ministry of your spirit, believing that hearts are receptive, ears are attentive, and minds are open. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your word and demonstration of the spirit of power that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now we give thanks unto you, dear Father God, for the revelation of your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Before we get into verse 1 of chapter 6, let me just remind you that we've been discussing for the last few weeks, more than a few, restoring the temple of God. And we've been talking about the fact that God wants the temple of His house to be restored to a house of purity and prayer and power and perfected praise. And in our discussions, we've discovered that the restoring of the temple involves cleansing it. These are not just four specific points that we're to learn and then forget about them. It takes a lot just to obtain in our lives the reality of the first point, and that is to become pure before God. So we've been discussing purity or the cleansing of the temple. And of course, there's a lot that needs to be done when it comes to the cleansing of the temple. You see, the temple of God is corporate and also individual. So when we talk about the cleansing of the temple, we're talking about a twofold work. The temple of God as being the collective body of Christ, and of course the temple of God as being every one of us as individuals. So we're talking about cleansing the temple individually and collectively. Now collectively, we said that God wants the temple cleansed from being a house of religious habits and traditional ideas programs, social activities, and entertainment. So it can be once again a house of purity and prayer. And we've said many times that it's easy to get people to come to a social activity or an event where there's going to be some food around. But when you say we're coming together to pray, it doesn't seem like too many show up. Why? Because we've fallen into a ritualistic habit. And the church, in many cases, and for the most part, has turned into a house of social activity. Now, there's nothing wrong with social events. Don't get me wrong. Not at all. But you see, if that's the emphasis of the ministry, if that's the emphasis or the focus of the church, it's wrong. You know, we just had a beautiful time last, last Sunday together, actually socializing with one another and enjoying food and fellowship and, and just meeting one another last Sunday, and we had a good time doing that, and that's fine. But you see, that cannot be the focus of, of the ministry. Our reason for gathering together is to be pure, prayerful, amen, powerful, full of the power of God, and perfected in our praise. And as you can see, God's perfecting that which concerns us in our praise is becoming perfected, amen, amen. Not just entertaining, but but perfected praise where people are actively involved in worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. Well, then secondly, 
we said the cleansing process involves cleansing the body individually. The temple of God is individuals. We individually are the, you know, make up the temple of God. Well, from what? Well, from that which defiles spirit, soul, and body. From that which defiles, anything that defiles the spirit, soul, and body. We need to cleanse ourselves from. Now notice he said cleanse yourself. He said cleanse yourself. If you don't pick up the bar of soap and clean yourself, then you're not going to be clean, although the soap's there. But we've got the blood of Jesus and we've got the Word of God that cleanses us. And if we don't, you know, take a hold of the Word of God and the blood of Jesus and cleanse ourselves, then we're not going to be clean before God. We should be ever bathing in the in the endless fountain of His blood so that we can stand pure, clean, and holy before a holy God. Amen? And it's up to us to do it, to live clean lives before God. It's our responsibility and duty to do that. He's not going to do it for us. He said, having therefore these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Now, in effort to do this, we've been pointing out some things that we need to cleanse ourselves from, such as unforgiveness and bitterness, critical spirit. People allow that to happen in their lives and they don't realize it will defile the whole body. The Bible says a root of bitterness will spring up from within you and will defile you which means to contaminate you or to make you impure or unclean. And, of course, along with that goes attitudes, motives, and desires. We should always do a check, an attitude check, a motive check, a desire check. See, desires are, are, are either wholesome or unwholesome or clean or unclean. Did you know that? See, desires are okay. They come from God. And the desires that He placed within us are okay. They're fine because... They've come from, from God. But because man fell, his desires became lustful. And when desires are lustful, then they're unhealthy and unwholesome and unclean before God. And that's why it's important we realize that each and every one of us should take an attitude check, a motive check, and a desire check to find out where we're coming from. What's your attitude? you have a good attitude about yourself? Praise God. If you do, you're going to be successful. you have a good motive? Why are you motivated? What motivated you to come this morning? Obligation or duty? Or because of a sincere heart toward God? You want to worship Him in spirit and truth? Can't wait to lift up your voice and magnify Him? Or did you come to find fault? See? What are your desires? Are they healthy and wholesome desires? See, lust is nothing but an unhealthy, unwholesome desire. That in itself is good, but when it becomes lustful or out of the boundaries of God's laws and commandments, then it becomes unhealthy and unwholesome in the life of the believer. Now... To catch us up, then, we've been talking about, or our focus has been on, the sex drive and sexual immorality. Now, you see, the sex drive that God placed within a man and a woman in the beginning, the Garden of Eden, was a wholesome, healthy thing. But through the fall, we discovered that it became unhealthy and unwholesome through lust. For another example, just like the desire to eat. How many of you know that the desire to eat is a healthy desire? How many of you know that? But you see, if you don't control that healthy desire, it can be unhealthy and unwholesome in any believer's life. And if we allow that to happen in our lives, we can be destroyed by it. Well, to catch us up, and let's just conclude or, or in summation, we can say these things about the sex drive and sexual immorality. If we can time all together, there's a lot of things to say, but there's just some things I'll just say in conclusion and we're going to move on to another direction and that is number one the sex drive as far as God's concerned is to be respected it is to be controlled and it is to be regulated according to the laws of God don't be deceived like the people in the world and also some people in the body of Christ are deceived the sex drive is to be controlled and regulated by the laws of God. If not, if it's abused, it can cause body destruction, soul corruption, and spirit alienation. These are the things that we pointed out and said. You have to get the last few tapes if you're here for the first time to understand these points. But first and foremost, the sex drive, as far as God is concerned, is to be respected controlled and regulated according to his laws, his purpose, his design. And then if those laws are abused, if the sex drive is abused 
and it becomes an unhealthy, uncontrolled desire, it can and will bring body destruction, soul corruption, and spirit alienation. And if you want that explained in layman's terms, spirit alienation means eternal damnation, separation from God throughout eternity. Now, let's just still continue to look at the sex drive, but we're going to not go into as much the sexual immorality part. And note this, or, or make note of this, not only can the sex drive lead a person into sexual immorality, but the sex drive can also, if abused, lead a person into an ungodly marriage. The sex drive, if abused, not only leads to sexual immorality, but even without sexual immorality taking place, so you see, don't be deceived, it can also lead a person into an ungodly marriage. And that's our focus this morning is talking about ungodly marriages as a result of our inability to control the sex drive. Now here, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, we'll read right on through here a few verses and we'll see some things that occurred because of ungodly marriages. And if you're taking notes, you might want to note this or write it down that an ungodly marriage is a marriage that is not ordained of God or a marriage where people, two people are unequally yoked together. And that's exactly what ungodly marriage is. A marriage that is not or has not been ordained of God or where two people are unequally yoked together. And since I'm going to touch this touchy subject, and since we're going to discuss this beautiful subject in the Bible, we might as well just get things straight right from the very beginning. Amen? Just start right from here and just say, there are many different situations when it comes to marital relationships. How many of you know that? Each situation must, of course, stand upon its own merit. Also, each situation has within itself certain circumstances to contend with. Consequently, we have no ironclad rules. You just can't begin to speak out and just say, this applies here, 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 here to all these relationships because each relationship has its own set of circumstances. Now, we have some general guidelines. But I want to clarify from the very beginning as I start along these lines. From the very beginning, from the word go, I am first and foremost addressing myself to single people. I don't want you to catch me after the service and say, oh, I'm, I'm in this murder relationship. What am I going to do now? I'm addressing first and foremost single people who have never been married. Is that understood? Single people who have never been married. Because I believe if we're going to purify and cleanse the, te the temple of God from this ungodly thing, it's going to start right there. I said it's going to start right there. The best medicine in this case is preventive medicine. It's kind of late to try to change something, you know, such as a marital relationship. Once people have been married, they better already enter into it. It's difficult, and we'll, we'll point that out here in a minute. But you see, if you can get a hold of the people before they make that tragic step in their life to marry someone who is wrong for them in life, then you can prevent the temple of God from being defiled. And many individuals defile themselves, the temple of God, because they enter into ungodly marriages and they don't realize that they've defiled the temple. And before we get into all this, remember, number one, I'm speaking first and foremost to single people who have not been married. Maybe you're at that point, you're thinking about marriage. Maybe you say, I'm too young for marriage. You're never too young to think about what the Word says about it because you should prepare yourself beforehand. You see, so let's begin right here by looking first and foremost at what ungodly marriages caused. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1, it came to pass when men began to multiply upon the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and he repented that God he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. How many of you have heard the story of Noah and the ark? 
probably since you were a little one, if you were, you know, raised in Sunday school and that sort of thing, you've heard the story of Noah and the ark. And, of course, we've emphasized the fact that Noah was obedient to God and all that, and, and this great flood came upon the earth and destroyed the whole earth and all that. People of God, do you know what caused? Do you know what caused that great flood? Do you know what caused the greatest tragedy the world has ever known? Ungodly marriages. Everybody say ungodly marriages. Say it again. Ungodly marriages caused the greatest tragedy, catastrophe the world has ever known. What did it? People get themselves into ungodly marital relationships and do you know what? They produce exactly what has happened right here. A lot of heartache, sorrow, pain, and trouble. And they want an answer. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. I looked to God for an answer. You know what I found? He had to destroy them with a flood. Now, come on. What about faith? Can we be candid? What's going to reverse the fact if a young man does not control his sex drive and ends up in a relationship where he has to marry his girlfriend? What's going to reverse that? Can an abortion do it? Is that the answer? People of God, there are some things that we set in motion as an act of our will. And when we set certain things in motion as an act of our will, if we're not careful and enter into situations such as ungodly marital relationships, you put yourself in a position that God cannot do certain things for you in your life. And that's why it is of utmost importance that we recognize the number one method of preventing hardships and troubles along life's path in marital relationships is to see to it that you marry the right person. That needs repeated. The number one way of protecting yourself from a life of tragedy, catastrophe, and devastation is to see to it that you marry the right person. As you can see here, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Now we're going to give you two interpretations or two specific viewpoints concerning this incident. One viewpoint says this. Here we have the line of Seth. And here we have an ungodly line. The righteous line and the line of the unrighteous. And they, the righteous line saw that the daughters of men, the unrighteous line, they were fair to look at. They were good-looking women out there. And they could not control their sex drive. They disobeyed the laws of God. And they went ahead and married these women anyhow, even though God did not want it and He did not ordain it. And the result of that was not a godly seed was produced, but an ungodly seed was produced. Their hearts were filled, filled with and full of wickedness and evil. And God repented that He even made man upon the face of the earth. And there was a brewing up, at least within the mind of Satan, an avenue whereby he can stop the seed of God from coming into the earth. And so God just looked down upon the earth and saw his righteous man Noah and says, I've got to save you in the righteous line, lest the seed be not able to come to the earth. And so God destroyed all the rest of them with the flood. And you know the story. But I want you to see the cause of it. I want you to see the cause, people, because that's what we have to deal with. If we can deal with the cause, we can get rid of the symptoms. The cause was ungodly marriages. And the reason for ungodly marriages is because people allowed their sex drive to run out of control and refused to obey the laws of God. They allowed their emotions to dictate to their lives instead of being obedient to what God said to do. And they allowed themselves to get involved with the wrong kind of people. Now, on the other hand, there's another side of this. There's another viewpoint. We'll give you both viewpoints. You make your own decision. And there are a lot of Scripture to support this particular viewpoint. That the sons of God were actually angels. 
These angels are the ones who sinned. And Judas recorded that these particular angels left their first estate or their first habitation. In other words, they came upon the earth. They saw the daughters of men that they were fair to look at. And so they left their estate, the angelic state, came down to the earth. And of course, the Bible says they appear even as men, right? And so they saw them and they took them under their wives. And of course, they came together and produced this generation of giants upon the face of the earth. And the anger of the Lord was kindled within them. And of course, he set them up as a perpetual example of those who choose as an act of their will to misuse their sex drive in any way, shape, form or fashion that they're going to be reserved exactly like they were in chains in darkness under everlasting damnation. And in Jude verses 5 through 7, we saw that when we discussed sexual immorality. And so other angels, when they see what happened to these particular ones who sinned after this sort, of course, have a fear lest they also be taken to such a place of torment. But it really doesn't matter which way you look at it or which view you hold. The fact is this. Ungodly marriages took place. And because they took place, God saw no other solution but to destroy the people off the face of the earth because that pollution was contaminating the godly seed. Is that clear? I mean, isn't that as clear as can possibly be? Number, let's look at another scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, as you begin reading, you notice that the Lord is speaking to His people about Canaan's land. Land of blessing. And in verse 1 of chapter 7, he says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, and hast cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them, thou shalt make no covenant with them nor show mercy unto them. Now, that's the first law. Neither, number two, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give. Well, I could preach a sermon right there. Thy daughter thou shalt not give. Thy daughter... Thou shalt not. How many of you know the Bible says thou shalt not kill? How many know the Bible says thou shalt not steal? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. How many know that we call those the Ten Commandments? Well, I don't think we should stop at ten because there's more commandments than ten. And here we see that God says thou shalt not. Thou shalt not is a commandment, and if he said thou shalt not, he meant thou shalt not. And he said, thou shalt not give un give thy daughter. Thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Now, I want you to notice that he's speaking in particular to the parents. And he's saying to the father, thou shalt not give your daughter to his son. You know, we've really come far. I mean, far away from God's plans and purposes. Did you know that? And our customs have really changed. Our customs are far different from their customs. But I want you to notice here that what he's actually saying is, is if you have a daughter in your family... The father is not to give. If she decides to marry a heathen, you're not supposed to say, I give her away.
Did you hear that? Who gives away this bride marriage? I do. Say, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, thou shalt not give. You're supposed to say, I don't. You want to talk about how far we've been removed from from respecting parental guidance? I mean, the children didn't have a say-so in the matter. If the father said, I'll not give you to him, then that was final. But you see, once again, we can see where people just begin to compromise the principles of God and the Word of God and slowly but surely begin to get further and further and further away from the commandments of God. And then these things just became religious formalities. You see why God wants to cleanse the church from religious formality? These things became religious formalities and we just did them because it was an act of worship or an act of a ceremonial act of, of bringing people together. But you see, beloved, God doesn't look at marriage like that. God doesn't look at young people's lives like that. He looks at it from a spiritual perspective. And he says, I'm telling you, thou shalt not give your daughter to his son. Thou shalt not take his son or his daughter unto your son. And he goes on and he says, why? Verse 4, for they will turn away thy son from following me that they may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. So here we see that the reason why God says, you shall not, thou shalt not give your daughter over unto someone who is not of the faith, who is not a believer, because it never fails that evil communications corrupt good manners. And instead of one influencing the other for righteousness' sake and for good, they, uh, the other can, can cause the one who is the believer to fall away from following the Lord with a pure heart. And so God says, this is no. I don't want it. Let's go on to another uh, chapter. Look at Joshua. Next book over. Joshua chapter 23. <clears throat> Look at verse 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Now, I want you to notice. Take heed to yourself. Both parents and children. Take heed to yourself, there, unto yourselves, therefore, that you love the Lord your God. Else, if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Now, he's talking about families and nations. And he says they're going to be snares and traps. He's going to say that you're going to put yourself in a position that I can't protect you and help you, but you're going to have, you ever have a thorn in your eye? Kind of hurts, doesn't it? Produces pain, doesn't it? How about scourges in the side? Once again, it produces pain. Heartache and trouble. And what he's saying is if you don't obey me in what I'm telling you to do concerning murder relationships, then this can happen. Not only can ungodly marriages affect the individual and the one family unit, it can affect other families and nations. And that's why you'll begin to see that when ungodly marriages occur and take place and the, and the family life degenerates, you begin to find out that a nation can be destroyed because of ungodly morals. We've seen it happen in our country, haven't we? We've seen it filter into the church. And what has it done? It's weakened the strength of our nation. And he's saying here that if you enter into wrong marital relationships, which relationships which are ungodly, you're going to put yourself in a position that I can't protect you like I would like to. And you're going to be faced with some troubles and, and heartaches that I'm just not going to be able to help you with. 
And once again, please remember, I'm speaking first and foremost to single people who have not entered into a marital relationship yet. I'm not dealing with, well, I'm there now. What am I going to do? Well, just hang tight for a while. Just sit tight for a while. Praise God, there's, there's an answer for you. But for, for, for right now, we need to emphasize this point because people, young people, if you don't take this to heart, if you don't take this serious in your own life at whatever age you're at right now, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble that God's not going to be able to get you out of. You're going to face with a lot of turmoil and anxiety. Just like Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul told the people, don't go out on that boat yet. There's trouble. Much loss, harm, damage, and injury. We shouldn't set sail yet. Well, we need to hear the voice of God when He tells us, don't set sail with that person yet. Because if you start setting sail down the road, there's a lot of heartache, trouble, and misery, and damage can occur in your life. So don't do it. And he tries to warn people to protect them from that. But many won't listen because they're not spiritual enough to listen to what God is saying to them. Or they're not convicted enough to, to recognize or to realize that God gives these commandments not because he's mean, but because he loves us and he knows what, what will protect us. What's, you know, for our own good. And Paul says, I could have spared you a lot of loss, harm, damage, or injury. Now, sure, they lived, they survived, they made it over to the other side of the mountain, but the ship was destroyed, they lost all their possessions. How many people are living, living in, in financial difficulty and problems, losing all that they have with sickness, with disease, their lives are being destroyed and devastated because they entered into an, a wrong relationship of marriage? Many. And that's why God cannot provide financially in a lot of certain areas. That's why there are problems when it comes to sickness and disease in, in people's lives because there's no harmony between husband and wife. Before we get into all that, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 11. Let's just point out one more thing. 1 Kings chapter 11. And you'll find out that an ungodly marriage can cause imperfections in the heart of the believer. An ungodly marriage which is the result of our inability to control the sex drive, can cause imperfections in the heart of the believer or the believing one. In verse 1, But King Solomon loved many strange women. That doesn't mean women are strange. It just means he loved strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and Zidonians and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said, which the Lord said, ye shall not, uh, under the children of Israel, ye shall not go in unto them. You, you see how he keeps emphasizing the Lord said you shouldn't? The Lord said you shouldn't? How many of you as parents told your children, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, and don't do that, and don't do that, and then when they did it, they got hurt? And the first thing out of your mouth was said, see, I said you shouldn't do that. Now I hope you learned a lesson. Well, God keeps saying, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, don't do that. I say, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. And then you go ahead and go and do it. And then when you do it, you have a lot of pain, heartache, trouble, and everything. And the Lord said, well, I said you shouldn't do it. Now you want me to bail you out when I said you shouldn't do it. There are some things, beloved, that can only be prevented from happening by using wisdom and the right preventive medicine. Yes, he's still your God, but he's going to have a hard time making your life what it should be. And we'll show you why in a minute. But here we see Solomon and all his wisdom missed it in the area of the sex drive. I mean, he was smart and wise in politics as a statement, statesman and everything else. But when it came to the sex drive, he missed it. Absolutely was disobedient to God. God said, if you obey me, I'm going to do this and give you long life and prosper you and all that. But he disobeyed in this area. Let's go on. You shall not go in unto them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives. My goodness. Princesses, 300 concubines. His wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives 
turned away his heart. After other gods, his heart was not perfect with the Lord. Who turned away his heart? His heart was not what? People don't think ungodly marriages will cause imperfections in the heart, but people of God, listen, ungodly marriages can cause many imperfections in the heart of the child of God. I mean that, many imperfections. Maybe not as far as where a person will lose their salvation, but it will cause many imperfections. And you know what? We don't need to have anything to add to imperfections. Because as we walk in the flesh, we have enough imperfections. As we are seeking to develop our heart and perfect our hearts before God, it's enough to contend with the world, the devil, and the flesh, let alone an ungodly mate. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord as God, as was the heart, the heart of, his, of David his father. So we see here that ungodly marriages, number one, did what? Caused the greatest catastrophe that the world has ever known. Secondly, we can see that it will turn a person's heart away from following God. Also, we can see that it will cause trouble, sorrow, pain, heartache. It will cause even a snare to come unto you. And it can cause you to be entrapped by the enemy. And also here we see that it can cause imperfections of the heart. So when God begins to speak out and he says to us, you need to control your sex drive so that you don't get involved in a godly relationship. He's not saying something to be mean to us. He's saying something because he cares about us and he loves us and he wants to protect us. But his best way of protecting us from all this catastrophe, all this flooding of heartache and sorrow and misery is to provide for us the right mate. It's preventive medicine. Okay. Well, now let's go over to James chapter 1. And let's take a look, as, as we did last week, about the enticement and see how a person can enter into this, be enticed to enter into this by not controlling their sex drive. But before we do, let me say this. And I think you should make a note of it. When believers marry outside of the family of God, when believers marry outside of the family of God, they marry outside of the will of God. When they marry outside of the will of God, they expose themselves to many troubles that they would not have otherwise had been exposed to. And they step out from beneath the protection of God. And God cannot protect them in certain areas of their lives as He would like to. Doesn't mean that God turned His back on you. Please, I'm going to clarify this. There are many problems that you'll encounter, that you'll enter into, that will cause you to experience heartache and trouble that you otherwise would never experience in your life if you only married according to the will of God. But when you marry outside of the family of God and out of the will of God, then you expose yourself to many troubles or problems that you would not have otherwise because you've stepped out from his protective covering. Well, like what? Well, first of all, what if, let's just say it's a woman and she married a, an unsaved, you know, person and, uh, this person didn't want her to go to church three times a week. Now she's going to fight. It's fight and fight just to try to get to church three times a week. Well, see, you wouldn't have that problem if you married somebody who was a believer who also wanted to go to church three times a week. Well, let's say you married somebody who, you know, said to you that he didn't want you to pay your tithes. And we don't believe in tithing. I don't believe in tithing. I work hard for my money. I'm not going to give my money to the church. Not realizing, of course, you're giving it to God. And you're investing in God's plan of social security. They don't realize that. So now you're in a position that it's hard for God to bless you like He'd like to bless you. He wants to bless you. But you see, you did something that was wrong. You ended the wrong relationship. And now you've got a lot of problems and heartaches and troubles that you otherwise would not have had. And you're limited in that area. And what about this? You come home from work one day, maybe, and or, or, or whatever, you know. He comes home from work and you're, you're in the house and, and your child's lying in bed sick of a fever. You go lay your hands upon him and begin to pray. And he comes in and says, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm, I'm praying for him. I don't believe in any of that stuff. You're fanatical. Call up the doctor. 
Here you are trying to develop your faith, wanting to develop your faith in healing, and you've got somebody opposing you, I mean, right by your side, like a thorn, like a scourge. Just trying to de destroy your faith. I mean, it's enough. You've got to hear it from the outside and from the devil. But now someone's standing right by your side who has much authority because it's his child also. And you've got problems on your hands. And you know that God is the only source of your supply. You know that ultimately only he can provide healing and health. But yet now you're in a position that's very difficult for you to use your faith for your own child. Because you've got enough doubt and unbelief being poured out into you because of your mate. Now, of course, it's out of concern and love because he loves the child just as much as you do. But you see, he, he's in darkness and you're in light. Or she's in darkness and you're in light. Whichever way it is, doesn't matter. Consequently, you run into, in, into trouble. So you see, you step out of God's protection. You step out and expose yourself to heartaches and troubles and pains that you otherwise would never experience. And I'm going to say it like this. Many of them spend the rest of their lives trying to believe God for their mate. Now remember, I'm speaking to single people who are not married. Not married people who have, who have a, a relationship of marriage where one person is not saved. You're a single person. The Word of the Lord says this. You are not to even go down and look and seek in the world for a mate. Did you know that? Some say, well, I believe it's okay for them to date for a while. You won't find that in the Bible. I said, you won't find that in the Bible. If you want to be scriptural about it, you will not find that in the Bible. At all. The Bible doesn't teach that. As a matter of fact, we'll show that the Bible teaches otherwise. But look over here in James chapter 1, verse 13. We want to show how young people can be enticed by the enemy, seducing them by causing them to be controlled by their sensual desires and emotions and drawing them away from the plan, purpose, and will of God in marriage to enter into a relationship with a person who is not saved with the idea in the back of their mind they're going to get them saved right before they marry them. Verse 13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man, and of course man, you know, as well as I do, means both male and female, is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, sin, when it is finished, brings forth death or anything that is contrary to life. Now Satan knows all about the human sex drive. And Satan knows all about human emotions. So, knowing that the human emotions and the sex drive are closely related together, he will use human beings to bait Christians through sensual desires to entice them, to lure them, just like bait, into a relationship that is ungodly by placing thoughts in the back of their mind. It's okay. Let it go on for a while. And then later on down the road, you'll get them saved. It's okay to enter that relationship. There's not a problem here. A little bit later, we'll get them saved. The devil never wants to save anybody. And see, what people do, they end up being drawn away from the Word of God and allow themselves to enter into a relationship where their emotions become affected. And they find themselves falling in love with someone who is not a Christian. But in the back of their mind is, well, they're a good church-going person. I'll bring them to our church and we'll get them saved. Well, we'll see what the Word of God has to say about that. But first, let's, do, let, let's say this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And the word yoke there just means to link together. Don't link yourself together with the non-believer. 
Don't link yourself together with someone who is not saved. Why? Because righteousness and unrighteousness have no fellowship whatsoever as far as God is concerned. You see, a yoke joins two people together. Or let's, let's put it this way. When God talks about a yoke, it's like two people coming together for one purpose. And that is to fulfill the plan, purpose, and the will of God. The only reason for two people to come together to be married is to fulfill God's plan, purpose, and will in marriage. And when you talk about plowing up ground, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have two oxen together than an ox and a donkey. Because if you hook them both up together, one's going to want to do the work, the other one's just going to sit in there and resist. Say, I'm not budging. Right? And when you talk about living life as we know it, beloved, one can chase a thousand, but two could put ten thousand to flight if they're working together in harmony, in harmonious agreement with the plan, purpose, and will of God. But if, on the other hand, you've got one who is saved and the other one who is not saved, it's like having that the ox and the donkey trying to work together, trying to plow the ground. One's going one direction, the other one's going in the other, and they're yoked up together. And everything the one tries to do, the other one undermines, or does not want to do, or puts up resistance. So that the other one cannot go any further or to do anything like they would want it to be done. And that's why God says you shouldn't yoke up together with a non-believer. And if we know that from the very beginning, then you see, beloved, it's our decision as to what we are going to do with our own lives. Are we going to obey God? God knows more than we know about it. Are we going to obey him? Or are we going to disobey God? Are we going to allow our feelings and emotions to get involved with somebody who, as of yet, we know is not a believer? And take the chance that that person may not get saved, and then you've fallen in love, and now you're about ready to have a bunch of heartache and, and hurt and all that? Are we going to say from the very beginning, look, these are the standards that I've set up for my life, and God is in it. And in marriage, God has a plan and a purpose, and that is to fulfill His will. And I refuse to be hooked up with somebody who's not, who is going to go against the plan, purpose, and the will of God. I refuse to get myself entangled in a yoke of bondage. And you young people out there, I, if I, if, if I had enough people to come and stand behind this pulpit who have, who are involved in relationships that as far as God's concerned are wrong, they stand up here and tell you from experienced reality that what is being spoken is absolutely so. You can save yourself a lot of heartache by not being entangled in the yoke of bondage. But if you get yoked up with somebody who is, who is not a Christian, who is not a believer, you're taking yourself out of God's protection and exposing yourself unto a lot of heartache and misery. That's just going to follow you for many days of your life. Now, here's, here's how he does it. Here's a, a, a pretty young lady. And, of course, she has desires and, and God made her that way because, you know, the Bible says man should not live, live by himself alone. And all of a sudden, she, she sees this particular person that she likes and, you know, he's not a Christian, but he's a good-looking, handsome fellow. And so in the back of their minds, well, it's, it's all right because, you see, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and, and uh, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus when the time is right. So they may date and go out for a while. And eventually, you know, just, just because of human emotion and feelings, inability to control the sex drive, you know, she begins to become emotionally involved. He begins to become emotionally involved. I mean, it's so because Solomon got emotionally involved with all these women, and they weren't Christian, they weren't believers, were they? That means your emotions can become involved with someone who's a non-believer. Isn't that true? And that's exactly what happens. Well, they get to a point that in the back of their mind, Satan just drops a few thoughts. Well, just let it go on for a while and you'll get him saved after a while. Would you bring him to your church? They'll see what's going on. They want to get saved because they're, they're a good, you know, whether it's a denominational background or whatever the background is. They're okay. It's all right. And so they're enticed. Now they're dating. Now they're emotionally involved. They're falling in love. And in some cases, and in many cases, talk of marriage has already begun. And in some cases, 
the plans have already been made. And maybe now it's time to go and talk to the preacher, or now it's time to go talk to somebody about Jesus entering into the heart of the person who is the non-Christian. And of course, God's on the believer's side. God's, if he's before me, who could be against me? God's on my side. Let me tell you something from the very beginning. God said, don't even get started in a relationship where a person is not saved. That's what God said. Because I'm going to say something to you, beloved. I've been there before and I don't want to be there again, but many times I find myself there against my will. But I've been faced with people, listen, in these situations, and I have actually had someone say, yeah, I'll accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I'll accept Him into my heart as my Lord. For the purpose of marrying the girl of his dreams. Either it's a half-hearted commitment or it's a commitment of pretense. They pretended to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord only to marry that girl. Why? Why would he want a Christian in the first place? Why not? She's probably going to be more faithful than anybody else. She's got her convictions. She's a good person. Why wouldn't a heathen person, why wouldn't somebody who's not saved want a good Christian wife? He'll put up with her religion for a while to have a good wife and mother for his children. He knows she won't go out and cheat on him. Oh, yes. Many men have made commitments of pretense. Many have made half-hearted, meaningless commitments, supposedly, to Jesus Christ because now we're getting married in three months. The Bible says in Matthew seven sixteen, it's by your fruit you're going to, by their fruit you're going to know them. And it, see, beloved, it takes time for fruit to be produced. You can't lead somebody to Jesus and in three months marry them and expect all the fruit that they're going to produce has been grown. It just doesn't work that way. You know, that's a babe, if that person truly accepted Christ, that's still a babe in Jesus Christ. And still, you don't know what they're going to do one year later, down the road. You don't have a guarantee of that. Let, let's quickly go here. I, I want to get this in. I, I, go back to Genesis. Time just goes so quickly when you're having fun, and we want to get this in. I'm having fun saying a lot of these things that I've been wanting to say for a long time. Either say amen or say me. You want to know the truth or you want to know tradition? Well, listen to this truth in Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24 and also Genesis chapter 28 verse 1 if we get to it fine, if not. But in Genesis 24, you'll find out that Abraham took God serious when it came to the marriage of his, child, of his child. And you'll find out that Isaac also, Abraham's child, took the same, you know, admonition. And he did the same thing to Jacob and told Jacob that you don't marry non-believers. And in 24 chapter verse 1, Abraham was old, well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said unto his eldest, son, eldest servant of the house that ruled over all, the, all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son or the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will be not willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this mine oath. And only bring not my son thither. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear to him concerning that matter. Now, you know the story, of course. He's, he's, begin, he's going forth to find Rebekah. But the point is this. These are the standards and the rules that Abraham lived by. He understood God when, when God said, Thou shalt not give your son 
or, or your daughter, anyway, unto a heathen person. You just don't do it. It's no, period. And he says, I'm telling you, Eleazar, who is the servant, he says, you go, but I'm saying, go to my family. Go to my country. Go to my people. Go to the ones who are in the faith. And there, wait for guidance. Wait for direction. For even an angel of God will go before you and help you. Now, there's some things that we need to set up here. Number one, write it down. The first thing that you need to do to prevent this from happening in your life is to purpose in your heart to obey God in the matter of marriage. Purpose in your heart to obey God in the matter of marriage. And that's exactly what Abraham did as a father. Now, I know the customs are different, but God's law has not changed. Purpose in your heart to obey God in the matter. Solomon disobeyed God in the matter. His heart was imperfect toward God. His wives turned his heart away from serving the Lord. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Abraham refused to allow his son to marry someone who was not of the faith. He absolutely refused to allow his son to get involved with somebody who was not of the faith. Why? Because he knew that that same thing could happen to his son. You talk about a radical change in, in, the, in the course of the nation of Israel. Would have taken place had Isaac married somebody like, who, who was a heathen. I guess we're not going to go much further, so I'm going to say something. I've I got to say something at this time. As parents, many times we spend a lot of time in prayer for our children. And as young people growing up, you may spend some time in prayer. Maybe sometimes you don't spend time in prayer. But when it comes to this all-important area of your life, I want you to know that on the other side, many women and many men have spent hours upon hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of prayer on their face before God because they're married to a person who's not saved. They have spent hour upon hour just to keep their right mind. They have spent time and time and time and time again in prayer just to keep above water. They've spent hour after hour after hour in prayer just to hold themselves together. Just so that they could make it the next day because of the family situation, because of the, the heartache, the floods of catastrophe and tragedy and troubles that come because of an ungodly marital relationship. Just to try to keep their children in line with the Word of God because of the... Of, of the Two different directions that, that both husband and wife are going in. They spend hour upon hour upon hour upon hour upon hour in prayer for these things. You know, one portion of the amount of time they spend in prayer after the tragic fact would have been enough to find the right mate. Did you hear that? A portion of the time that they spend in prayer after the fact would have been more than sufficient to have that person discover or find the right mate if they would pray in faith believing. And that's exactly what Abraham did. And Eleazar. Abraham said, The God that I serve will send an angel before you. Number two is, pray for complete guidance in the matter. Pray for complete guidance in the matter. Don't seek a wife, don't seek a husband out of the family of God, number one. Number two, pray for complete guidance. Because he said, when I get there, how will I know? He prayed about it. He said, Lord, show me the right girl. It wasn't just enough to be in the family, it had to be the right one. Pray for complete guidance in the matter, number two. Number three, expect divine intervention. Expect divine intervention. Number four, Put spiritual things first, emotional things second, physical things third. Number five, don't be passive. Don't be passive. He went out to find the wife. And then number six, number six, know that marriage does not change a person. Know that marriage does not change a person. Know that marriage does not change a person. If you can't get him saved before you start dating him, forget about it. Because you're not, you're not going to get him after it. And if you do, you don't have enough time in most cases to, de to determine whether or not that person is going to serve God and fulfill His will. We run out of time. Let's all stand before the Lord. We'll pick up these things next time we meet. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. 
We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.